Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Today's episode about fanatics. It's just pure speculation, but I'm with a guest that has a corporate perspective, very entrepreneurial, and is a new friend. So that's one of the fun things of doing this podcast. I get to make new friends. First, thanks sponsors. Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Enjoyed meeting Patrick. I don't hate long podcasts. I actually listen to a bunch of longer podcasts, but it's just not my style for mine. But I do get into interview situations with old friends and new friends where I turn on the recorder and just let her rip. And then I say, I'm going to try to put it into a 15-minute episode and frequently, there's just too much good stuff. So again, Patrick, thanks for a lot of different back and forths. This is actually the last segment. I rarely do that, but this is a shorter segment where I can give a little more intro to Patrick and why I think he's worth listening to and worth me spending a little bit of time. Actually, one of my good friends is one of his business mentors. As I said, he's very entrepreneurial, has a very successful that he's co-founded that's really taking off. So I'm always happy for other people's success. In addition, he used to live in Dallas. He's a lot younger than I am, but he's the age of some of my friend's kids. He went to a very prestigious all-boys school that uh, several of my close friends sent their sons to. Great education, and he's parlayed it into a great career and a great collection. And this is the last of the time we were talking, but I've got a couple episodes I'll release later where we hear a little bit about his origin story. And it ought to be doing that first, but I just think this is appropriate to launch this way. So if something doesn't make sense, it's not Patrick's fault, it's my fault. His collection, by the way, we do get into that in the other episodes, and I think you'll find that fascinating, including his grail uh, quest that I wouldn't put it past him. So I'm excited about the future of his collection and his uh, corporate and personal future. Patrick, thanks for sharing your story, and I wish you the best. I'm sure I'll be seeing you at some of these various events as you increase your visibility. This was one where he actually came over. So Zoom is manageable in a different way. You don't have as much chemistry. But when somebody comes over and I give him a little bit of a tour, and so it puts some context into some of his questions and what we talked about, because he can see a little bit about how I hobby and my wall and those kind of things. It did take a little bit longer, and it doesn't deserve to be on the cutting room floor. It deserves to be listened to by faithful listeners and anybody's interested in the hobby. So Patrick is an up-and-comer, unless he's already arrived. So again, thanks, Patrick, and thanks, sponsors. Thanks, listeners. And here is the final part of my conversation with Patrick with more to come in future episodes. Fanatics has a history of cutting out the middleman. The hobby shop is still so important what do you see that evolution being? There's different kinds of disintermediation that is going to happen from your business and my business too. Why do you want somebody to come between you and the customer? Okay. The question is, who's your customer? Right? In the retail element, there's going to be some simplification and taking out layers of the distribution. Okay. But the hobby shops, they need to make it easier for hobby shops to get it. If it's a legit hobby shop and there ought to be enough evidence on social media or other places to prove this is a legit hobby shop. It's not a front for flippers. Okay, so if it is, I hope they will because they are ambassadors. So that'd be foolish. Yeah, I totally agree. But Fanatics is an intermediary in a of sense. Of course, yeah. And so they already are. So they don't want somebody else to be an intermediary. They're probably gonna eliminate in large part distribution for distributor to the hobby shops. Yeah. And it might be there's some level of hobby shop that is so small 
below the economic order quantity that's viable for a large company that will need to have some other way to source the product, and that may be called a hobby distributor. But they will also impose rules on the hobby distributors that they will have for pricing windows, and some of that stuff may not even be legal. I think right. there's some antitrust or the rules, regulations are. Yeah, we like studied tickets. this. Yeah, tickets. obviously we have general counsel and outside counsel. I learned that when- And those rules will tighten up. Definitely. When a manufacturer puts an MSRP on something, the retailer does not have to follow it. I think it's an implicit threat, and Fanatics has also followed through on that threat yeah. by eliminating some distributors. Being very sensitive to the market and where they think it's going. If someone's a hobby shop owner, I think they need to diversify their services and highlight their services, meaning they need to have a kid's trade night. They need to be a service company, not yes. a product company. 100%. 80%. They still got to have yeah. the product. They got a product. They've got to have singles. They got to have supplies. They've got to have a trade night. They got to have a kid's trade night. They need to be doing things that shows that they're a flywheel. That they're a hub. That they're a hub. And too many of them are too focused. That Some hobby shops don't buy. Well, they're going to be out of business. Yeah, you've got to buy. You've got to create churn and interest. And if you're a hobby shop not creating churn and interest, then you're probably going to get cut. 30 years ago, there were 20,000 card shops. Yeah. And they all worked with us. And we provided that churn. That every Tuesday morning or whenever oh, they yeah. came in, yeah. they had traffic in the store because of that. I'm glad that we were a part of that. Yep. And it was positive for the hobby. Okay. But that was then. This is now. They need other. And you've made suggestions. It turns it into a job, into a real business. Yeah. And that a should mom be. mom and pop and it should be. can be, but they have to have savvy. They can't just think, oh, we're just going to put it out there and see what happens. They've well, got to promote. And so this is going back old school, but there were a couple hobby shops. They created sort of a Beckett membership where you paid them above the cost of the magazine, but you were- needed to be there. And you were, they put some packs in and your- you got some other privileges. Right, and like that type of micro membership program meant I didn't have to be at the card store at noon on Tuesday. Immediately. So it was of great value. Hobby shops, you need to create something of value that makes you sticky with your customers. And if you're sticky with your customers, you're gonna be sticky with fanatics. Yeah. That's the nuts and bolts of running a business. It isn't just following a cookie cutter. The hobby shops are not franchises. If you want to be in a cookie cutter business, save up your money and go get a franchise at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. Well, Fanatics is maniacal about obtaining customer information. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, I bet they could know the names and addresses of all the customers of Fanatics in Grand Rapids, Michigan with 80 or 90% overlap with the people that go to the card shop in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So they right. could go direct, okay? But it's not in their best interest to do, okay? And so they could do that and how they straddle that because it's like the Grand Rapids store or whatever city is thinking, I don't want Fanatics to go direct with my customers. They already probably have them. Yeah. So Fanatics needs to have some restraint. If they try to bypass in the natural flow of certain products, they can market some jerseys to them or maybe higher ticket items or something right. like that. But if they start selling hobby boxes and supplanting the hobby shop so that they can't stay in business, that's bad. Profit maximization is not always best. It's almost always best, but what's always best is profit optimization. If you make too much money, you invite competitors. Oh yeah. Okay. If you make not enough money, you go out of business. If you make as much money as you can this year, then what about the next year? It's Jack Welch. Right. It's management of earnings. And I'm not suggesting that as much as that Fanatics needs to have some restraint to build this that in 10 years, 
they're 10x. Don't grow it too fast or too slow that there's a steady march up because that provides the price support and the basis for an enduring, fabulous, greatest hobby in the world. That's a classic case of pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And in my ticketing business, we work with 70 professional sports teams, colleges, et cetera. And our business has changed a lot. But let's just say five years ago, if we had a team where our account was losing more than 10%, that was obviously highly problematic, but more problematic were the accounts making more than 20% because we knew we were earning too much. And so we would proactively go to the teams and say, hey, what can we do to provide more value? What do you need help with to try to normalize our returns and add longevity to the relationships? To your point about the hobby shops and fanatics themselves into figuring out that sweet spot, if you're a hobby shop and you know you've been really hoggish the last couple of years, you're on the slaughtering table and that's your own fault. But if you're a hobby shop that's been really respectful about not price gouging and trying to provide value, then you know what? You're probably going to stick around. Basically, if your business was public, it'd be run differently. Oh, yeah. If Fanatics became public, oh. which I'm not eager to have that happen anytime soon. I'm with you. That could be problematic because then you got people coming in saying, why are we having these hobby shops? Fanatics has leadership that understands the first three letters of their name, F-A-N, really are meaningful into what they're doing. They'll try to optimize. And also, we forget that Fanatics is different from Fanatics trading card. Fanatics just raised another round to be at $31 billion valuation. Fanatics trading cards raised money at about a $10 billion valuation, which seemed really steep, which seemed really high. Well, both of them seem steep. And they have to be consolidated at some point. point. But I think it's not called a cash grab when you do something like that. Right, because no it, one's getting paid out. But when they tried to raise money at that valuation for the Fanatics cards. They got it. They got it. But they didn't get $10 billion. They got whatever percentage of the company. That's the valuation. They got enough money to have a pretty good runway. Yeah. But it was, somehow they have to come back together. Right. It was a valuation similar to a tech company. So basically the investors saw, okay, they have this IP, they have the ability to innovate, they have the ability to distribute in different ways. They have pricing power too. They have pricing they power. They eventually will have pricing power yeah. with a fanatic following that's going to be growing. Okay, but they can't abuse it. And to your point about going public, my fear is they get spun up together and go public in I 18 think, months. Yeah, There's no other exit. But there can be a cash cow for them. Yeah. And you don't need an exit if you're highly profitable and all your investors are satisfied yeah. to milk it. But yeah, that's what probably will happen. And I hope it's not that soon because it'll change the ethos of the company, just like your oh, company or my company. Oh, yeah. You go public. Corporate culture is redefined. Yeah, I think. obviously managing against a quarter versus a year. And also some of our businesses, we look at it as it's a 10-year tranche or a five-year tranche and or a five-month tranche. So going public changes those sorts of goals. The man in the house of cards. The man in the house of cards. The man in the house of cards. Is doing all right.